film sucks Indie film sucks It's the Indie Film Sucks Podcast Yeah Coming at you from the mean streets of St. Louis, from a basement on South Broadway, the Indie Film Sucks podcast. Because Indie Film sucks. Sometimes it sucks. Most of the time. Sometimes hey. it blows. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, number four, boys. Episode four. We're rolling right along here. All right, boys. Uh, Got to suck? I think there's a little bit of suck in all of us. Yeah, you got that right. Um, tell you, I'll go ahead and start with my suck. All right. So, my suck today is for all those so-called indie filmmakers who want to premiere their shit. Okay? So, not the real indie filmmakers. Like, there's some good ones in town. I'm talking about the ones who just kind of come in, fly under the radar, then all of a sudden they're on the news. (laughs) They're talking about their kick-ass independent film. So, listen up, fuckers. Stop doing this shit to us. It, It really bothers me. When guys like us busting our ass and other filmmakers bust our ass and we go to the radio or we go to the local television and we talk about our stuff and, and we got good stuff for people to see. And these other fuckers come in and do the same shit and they get the whole town, whatever town you're in, to come see this piece of shit. And now everybody thinks that independent film because of your movie is just like yours. And it fucks us over pretty bad. And it, does, it doesn't just fuck us good independent, real independent filmmakers over. It eventually fucks them over too. Because they're in the business to try and get more work, another job, make more movies, right? I think so. I think he's actually pissed off. He came in a mood tonight. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, but it's, it's real. So it sucks for us because we got to put up with that shit. It makes us look bad. And now the public thinks all independent films are just like this, like what they're going to see. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I think I see what you're saying, Brock, on a broader sense about how that can seem like that way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, an, honest, it's an honest feeling and an honest thought. I, so. I, know, get, I know they want to get their shit out there. I, I right. That's, that's but, where I was going, so I'm glad I, you picked no, up I, on I that. I totally but. get it. I mean, everybody loves their stuff, but if you can step back and take a look at what you really have, not what you want to have, and, you know, don't lower the bar. Raise the bar. And plus, for yourself, if you want to shoot more movies later and they see this big promotion that you put on, then it's this piece of shit and you got other investors coming and looking at it. They're like, wow, I'm not going to invest in any independent film if this is what it really is. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on something with uh, people don't give you honest feedback either, though, right? The toughest thing is to see your own self in the mirror, right? The toughest thing is to see your own flaws and to take a, a realistic assessment of where you are as a filmmaker and a creator. Uh, that, that's, that's a very difficult thing to do. And your, your cast and crew and your friends and family, the people involved in the film, they're, they're not going to see it either, right? They're, they're always, you know, you, you, I tell this people all the time, you cannot count your mom's opinion on whether or not your film is good. Because your mom's going to say it's great no matter what, because it's your mom. Sure. Right? It's... When people who don't know you tell you, hey, wow, this film is really awesome, you know, you, you can take that 
a little more at face value. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, my suck? Sure. Let's All move right. on to someone else's right. suck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it kind of goes into the topic tonight as we kind of finish up Rhineland and, uh, you know, kind of jump into uh, where that kind of went is when you think you're on a path that you think has like meat and potatoes to it and then something dramatically changes that sets you back or you think somebody's interested in your film or you think all these things are kind of going on and you're buying into it and you're doing certain things you're talking about the carrot and then exactly or or something really happens right like something dramatically changes somebody moves out of town oh, yes. somebody <clears throat> loses the money they promised you i think all intents they had the purpose or they were going to give you certain things or help you out something just happens that's out of everybody's control well as an independent filmmaker that's difficult because you kind of like those hopes and dreams right and then you feel like maybe you're back to square one a little bit sometimes so that's that's kind of what i was thinking about based off our topic tonight is you know we've all had those experiences when we've yeah. we've done independent film yeah we definitely all have it and throughout the years for sure but guys like us we seem to find a way to pivot uh to go through those sucks makes us better there's a, a kid i used to work with he's a creative guy and he wants very much to work in the some creative field but he he wants to do the the easiest thing possible in a creative field and i'm like man that, that's not how it works anything you do that's worth doing is just going to be hard and it's going to take a long time yeah that can't be your sock no okay. no <laughs> My, mine's unrelated to either one uh what you guys were talking about mine is just uh writing screenwriting it's sometimes it's it's just a just a fucking drag it's just hard to uh push that idea out yeah, and and that's what I'm struggling with right now. I'm You're breaking on... the news to no, 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 no. <laughs> Try, I mean, I... Trying to let us know that we don't have. <laughs> no, I, damn I'm... it. <laughs> Work working on the next uh, next project because you always got to be working on the next project. Right. But uh, I had one screenplay going, which was very different than the current one because of the direction that we're going in. And it's you know it's a great idea, and I'm I'm really happy with the idea. It it's just screenwriting for me is one of the hardest parts of the process and the whole thing is hard but anyway yeah so speaking of speaking of that speaking of suck speaking of speaking of hard uh i think where we left off we were talking about rhineland rhineland that's right that's right and, yeah and if, if, if this is your first uh your time listening to us uh go back and listen to one through three we're kind of telling our stories we kind of go through uh they're 30 minutes long. They're real short. I think they're they're pretty quick listens. But we left off at Rhineland. Sorry. More or less. Yeah. Yep. Rhineland was our uh, second feature-length film. It's a World War II film that we shot in Missouri that took us three years, three winters, to complete production on this thing. It was shot in the winter of 05, 06, 06, 07, 07, 08. And... <laughs> the, that sounds so stupid. I know How it was stupid, that? and just, <laughs> just, just getting people to come back those extra years was a monumental effort in and of itself. And to hopefully look like they looked. Yeah, and looked similar. And some people looked not as similar as they did the first year. But anyway, very, very the point polite. is very polite. We finished production in '06, and then I knew we were cutting it during the summer. Like we don't have enough footage, so we went back that second year, '06, '07. And we, we shot everything else we needed for the film. And then we premiered it at the St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase. 
won a couple of awards. We're kind of wondering what's next. Well, who happened to be at the showcase that year? Well, hold on, before you go there, let's leave a cliffhanger there. Go go back and talk about like that experience of, of not getting what you got the first year, right? Because I think that's important. Three years on this project alone. Did you think you were going to finish this movie in the first year? Yes. Okay. What happened? Why? What? I mean, I was there for all three years. You just kept calling. I just kept coming back. Uh, a lot of things happened. There was issues amongst the crew. Uh, we lost our production designer. We had some personnel issues mm-hmm. that were very difficult to overcome. We, we lost a lot of things between the, the, the first year and the second year. And a, a lot of things towards the end of shooting in the first year, things were breaking down because we didn't have much money. And this, this was a hard-ass shoot. Yeah. And I say this all the time. The first couple of days on an independent film, you have more crew than you know what to do with. And by day four, <laughs> half those people are gone. Yeah, they, they find out how tough it is. Especially it's, uh, when you're shooting outdoors in the middle of winter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so, true. Yeah, we had like the grip of the week club. Hmm. Uh, we'd have people show up to work as a grip or a PA for one week, and bam, then they're gone. So how many times did you want to quit? I honestly never wanted to quit that movie. I was so deeply in it. It's like, I'm going to push through and finish this no matter what. Yeah, I think that's that's important because I knew you were going to say that. I just thought I'd throw it out there so you would say it because it's that perseverance that you always had. And that's what kept me coming back because you're, you, I mean, that's one of your things. You're like, I'm finishing this, guys. We're, we're finishing this together as a crew, as a cast, whoever's left, whatever we got to rewrite, however we got to do this, right? Well, alluding to your roadblock sucks earlier, Mackie. I mean, this is probably some of what Greg is getting ready to talk about. Yeah. Some of these roadblocks to get this movie finished. Yeah, no. Well, you you remember a couple of times I had to come out and I had to give like a big morale speech. Yeah. I had to give the big General Patton speech. Rally the yeah. troops. Yeah, because I, I could, had frostbite on my toes, buddy. I know. <laughs> I, I could tell that uh, morale was, was dipping low and people were not happy, so I had to... Get the troops fired up, and hey, I, I'm gonna find those boots you made me wear, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put them up on our Instagram page. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna put a picture of that up They're there. They're all ragged. <laughs> That's how they look, though. That's They're authentic. That. We're working. They're very, boots. very authentic. So, anyways, uh, so so going into our our we we screened the movie in 07 at the St. Louis Filmmakers Showcase, and George Hickenlooper happened to be in town that year for some project, and he saw the film. If you don't know who George Hickenlooper is, he was a director, originally from St. Louis, went out to L.A., had a pretty decent career. He passed away. The Factory Girl, right? Yes, yeah. Factory Girl. Yeah. Yes. Did Factory Girl. He did... Santa Miller was in that one. Uh, the Kid Stays in the Picture. I think he was one of the editors on the Apocalypse Now documentary, Hearts of Darkness. Yeah, I, I don't know you know, his entire body of work because, I mean, George was moderately successful. Right. More successful than us, but... You know, definitely not a household name, but look him up. He had a respectable career. Right. Anyways, George was put in contact with me by the Cinema St. Louis people. He was blown away by the film. He's like, "Kid, kid, what you did with this budget? It's it's incredible." Uh, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna show you the ropes, kid. I'm gonna gonna make you my understudy. Gonna make you my protege. I'm gonna I'm gonna take you out to L.A. I'm gonna introduce you to all these people, and we're gonna go places. I was like, "Holy shit, this is." I've been doing this at this point for eight years. I finally made it. <laughs> and so we went back that third season based upon all of George's recommendations. He's like, you got to reshoot this stuff. You, you got to add this in. You got you to gotta redo this. You got to take that out and put this other stuff in. And I listened to everything he said. And everything he said made the movie better. 
the the third season, the third year. <laughs> there we, it is. There well, it is. We, we call them seasons because <laughs> right. it just seemed like we were on this thing for so long. The third year uh, made everything that much better. And George was convinced that we're going to go to Sundance, kid. I, I know the gatekeeper. I can get us in there. And I was thinking, man, this ain't really a Sundance movie. But, I mean, hell, George, if, if you think so, uh, okay. And, uh, you know, George, I think, personally submitted the film. And we didn't get in. <laughs> Son of a bitch. We didn't get into Sundance. Uh, as a matter of fact, Rhineland was rejected almost universally across the board. There was a military film festival that only <laughs> took military uh, subject matter films. We were rejected that. Outside of St. Louis, we only played in one other festival, the Yellow Fever Independent Film Festival in uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland. They really seemed to like it. <laughs> but, man, after that, the festival experience with Rhineland, I was totally heartbroken and and hick and looper was like well kid you know we tried uh you know them's the breaks and then he kind of stepped away is it popeye yeah <laughs> that's, that's my hick and looper voice whatever what do you want man I, i've got a small range of voices i'm <laughs> very small so and he uh he stepped away and then shortly thereafter he he died he he died uh i think he had a heart attack in uh denver so the festival experience which i thought you know we made a world war ii movie like a legit one I think it looks pretty damn good. No, it is good. It's, yeah. It is good for it's, what it is. I agree. I agree. You're making but, you're, Yes, it is good. But but the festivals did not like the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's true and we I mean we're going to talk a little bit about it cuz it went to distribution, right? Yeah, it, yeah. it got picked up by a distributor. Yeah. And we had a uh, you know, an okay run with the film. Mm. But yeah, Rhineland got picked up, got released. And did not make our hopes and dreams come true. I do remember, uh, I think it wasn't a rat party, but it was you. we all met up at a local brewery in St. Louis. I think it was Schlafly. A lot of us cast and crew members, uh, we had all met up there to talk about Rhineland. And uh, you uh, announced to us at the time, you said, all right, guys, hey, I got to tell you something. Um, well, I'm just going to say it. Uh, HBO really liked our shit and as it picked it up. And everybody was quiet for a second. Then you go, nah, I'm just fucking with you guys, man. Uh, <laughs> we are in distribution, though. <laughs> um, I, I about punched them. No, I, yeah, I, I mean, just. <laughs> what can I say? I'm a terrible person. No, but that's, that's my point on this one. I knew you were going to tell that story about Hickenlooper. But it's like things that, like that come along for an independent filmmaker. And he had no ill will. No, he was trying to make us better. He mm -hmm. was trying to do everything possible. That happens, I think, more than we know in independent filmmakers' lives. It's like those are the things that I—that's my suck. And and I knew that Hickenlooper. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. I mean, the guy was really there, and then he dies. So you lost. You even lost that connection through to his little bit of Hollywood connection. You well, know what he, I mean? He did get Greg to make a better product. I agree. So, so yeah, there is a lie to yeah. Right. Oh, you, no, you, you always got to take the best out of it. Sure. George was incredibly helpful. I mean, we talked multiple times on. The phone we went through the movie shot by shot and he made very good suggestions it made the film better i, I learned a lot from the experience and you know uh it even he even said look look if this is a risk i don't know what's going to happen maybe nothing will happen but what the hell let's try yep. and you know as it turned out rhineland did not uh did not do what we wanted it to do what we expected it to do you know maybe that was just naivety on our part yeah you were going to make your shuffle movie 
Yeah, well, shuffle. Oh, yeah. Thankfully, that <laughs> maybe, was... Maybe that's why Rhineland didn't work out, because God knew you were going to make shuffle. <laughs> that was definitely dead. Yeah. Um, no, that's 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 interesting. But that leads us like into like the next project, because that one... I mean, that was hard on everybody. Cast, crew, everybody, and just kind of put the company kind of in a position where it was like, what's the next step, right? Yeah. I mean, because who makes a World War II film with approximately $35,000 in Missouri? Nobody. Nobody does that. Not a feature. That's that's insane. Just the fact that it even got completed is an incredible feat. Right. And and again, I think it's a, it's a great movie, but it's it's great for what it is. But afterwards, I mean, the fact that it didn't get in the festivals, we didn't do what I thought it was going to do, was was a big letdown. And I I mean, I wasn't done making movies, right? I mean, this wasn't like okay, I'm oh, this is it, I'm finished. So I had another idea that I want to do this as a palate cleanser. That's where this the, the next film came about. I want to do something that's really simple, really cheap, really short, and really fun. So I came up with the mockumentary format, you know, like Christopher Guest, Best in Show, oh, yeah. Spinal Tap. Good mm-hmm. stuff. So the next film we did was called Game of the Year. And that is about a group of role-playing gamers who are attempting to get on a reality TV show called Game of the Year. And we shot that in like nine days. Most of it was in my basement. Yeah, running gun. It was fun. Yeah, was yeah, a lot that of fun. was. It was. Uh, you only had a tiny involvement in that, Brock. Very, very tiny involvement in that. Yeah, that's it. But you've been in every film. That's a that's a, your smallest <laughs> role in it. I was there on the best day, though. I guess <laughs> you were. Was that at the? Uh, that was at game, the convention. Game con. Oh my god! Right. What a day. Yeah. What so, a fun. What a fun day. So it's. Uh, it, it's a it's a movie not making fun of gamers because I mean I've I've been a I've been playing games you know role-playing games and whatever for 40 years Chris Mackey's also been a gamer for many many years Brock he's too cool Never for gaming. Been a gamer <laughs> too cool for that yeah. but uh, yeah so it was uh, it was a great experience on top of that it was dirt cheap I think the budget for for game of the year was 2400 bucks yeah I think that's what you say yeah and it it was a lot of fun and it really restored my faith in filmmaking like okay it doesn't have to be this this big arduous ordeal to make a movie you can just do it simply and quickly and have fun because that's the one thing about game of the year uh the whole time we were making the movie everybody was having a great time oh Everybody was laughing. I like, we've been using the word pivot tonight. I think we used it a couple episodes ago, but you kind of said, all right, I can't go on to the next big one, right? And I think that was a smart move. And I think for any young filmmaker or somebody who's grabbed that experience, it's okay to take a step back and do something fun and pull your crew back together, right? Your principal people that you know and and really, you know, that are, are with you in your movie company, right? Throughout the entire journey. I think that's okay to do that. It is, and to, to, to go to Game of the Year afterwards, a lot of the same talent from yeah. Rhineland. And that goes to show that, Chris, Grega, that that people believed in you and what you did with Rhineland. If you would have bailed out on that, you, would, you wouldn't be here right now. No. Because no. nobody no, would believe in you. Right. And that's why I always stuck around, because I, I knew Rhineland was a huge challenge. I mean, I was there every day, literally digging foxholes and trenches to get this film done and chris is right there too the final product proved we weren't doing was a fluke 
no. that all this time and effort that you put in and brought all these people in and these reenactors no. and right that, that I think that's that's extremely important well, Chris, for people to understand. You guys both touched on the the how much it costs to make Rhineland. There was not more than five thousand dollars at any one time in the bank account. Sometimes around five hundred. Yeah, lots of times, but it, somehow you, you you got it done. And that movie looks really incredible for that budget. Yeah, I it does. No, I know, like I said before, nobody gives a shit about any of that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, that budget in that movie, it, it looks it looks pretty incredible. No, it does. It does. And and then coming off of that, I think the right move was to go again, right? What did we say episode one? It, it would only suck more to not make films. That's right. Yeah. So I, I like your thought process to go, I got to do something fun for me. And I got to do something fun for everybody else. Yeah. And boy, it, it, it hit the right spot at the right time with everybody. What a fun, what a fun it, movie to it make. It really did. I mean, yeah. it was half ad lib, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. I think that was the idea. Yeah. And, and what you said, Brock, is, is very much true. If, if I would have quit on Rhineland, nobody would have came back for Game of the Year. No. Your, your reputation is all you have. And if you get a reputation as someone who doesn't finish, nobody's going to work with you. Right. People want to work with finishers. People want to work with people who get things done and who care. People don't want to work with people who give up too easily. Right. I don't. No. I don't know anybody we're, who does. We're too dumb to quit, I think. I know. Right. We're pretty stupid. Well, and you stayed consistent. Yeah. However long it took, it was going to get done. Well, luckily, Game of the Year only took nine days and not yeah. nine years. But tell us about the finished product. So Game of the Year really was our first festival acceptance outside of St. Louis. We screened in other places. And I'm not going to lie, some of our worst <laughs> festival screenings were for Game of the Year. I mean, horrifically bad screenings. We'll cover that in a whole other festival episode. But yeah, man, uh, it was awesome to get accepted outside of St. Louis. But then sometimes... Getting into a festival is almost as shitty as not getting in. You don't you don't think about it at the time. You think, oh, it's great. Someone loves our movie and we're accepted. But, man, there's a whole other ordeal that goes with that. Mm-hmm. And the, the, I guess the last thing we'll touch on is for Game of the Year, it was a conscious decision. We are going to self-distribute this. Game of the Year was was never, was never intended to be sent to distributors. Right. The whole idea was this is something... That we're going to self uh, self distro. So, if we if you look at from amphetamine, then going way to another level with Rhineland, and then actually dialing it back a little bit for Game of the Year, but still getting better. So you're getting the festivals now with your third film. Yeah, getting some recognition. So even though things haven't happened as you wanted it to, things are getting bigger and better with everything you're doing. And some also, ways. It, it, it definitely has. We, I've seen it. I've been, I've been in everything. That's true. <laughs> I've been involved in everything, so I've seen it get bigger and better as you, as you learn and as you grow and as you fight through the sucks. And also, as you guys said earlier, I, I'm not a gamer at all. I, I just that's not in my wheelhouse at all. But the movie, I enjoyed the shit out of it. Yeah. I, you don't have to be a gamer. No. It's just no, a really it's, fun movie. Right, it's it's that that adds to it, but it's a good it's a good human story. There's a yeah. lot there's a lot of things in there that I think every Super a lot of a lot yeah. of people can enjoy. My thing to you, Chris, as we kind of move through this progression is, uh, did you learn things as a director? Right, I learned things as an actor, 
and I learned about being on different sets, right? That's how I grew. And that's my progression to being a producer and, and now, you know, with 88 millimeter, but you as a director, or even Brock, you can speak to this too. What was your progression through that? Cause I think that's important for people to understand too, that you didn't start out as a great director. I'm sure you learned things along the way. Still learn, for, still right? Well, great. of course, well, of course, we are, and we even made mistakes on Red Night, right? Oh, that seen, we would go I've back. I've seen them grow from every film. Yeah, as a director for sure. Like, what do you think for you? And then Brock, you know, why don't you speak mm-hmm. to you as far as your progression through those? Because you've been on every one. Well, uh, for me, Game of the Year was the first thing I actually shot. I ran camera on that. I, I was a character in the film as the cameraman for the mockumentary. It was uh, in the mockumentary. There's a two-person crew. There's. Uh, uh, a woman who's a director, and then there's uh, the guy who's the camera operator. So, in addition to shooting it, I was also part of it, which I think the the whole movie. I, I just watched it uh, with my girlfriend not too long ago. It was her second time seeing it, my ten thousandth time seeing it. <laughs> but uh, the thing that strikes me about Game of the Year is the fact that it feels so natural. It does I mean it? It doesn't. It really doesn't feel like people are acting. Well, see, I think I'm going to touch on that with the question you asked me is I could talk to you guys about how I've seen them progress. Is I think that was one of the first ones you let the actors just kind of go. More or less. You, you, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, you had a... You kind there was of, a script, yeah. Yeah, you had a script, but you let the actors just kind of go and let them see where they went and bounce off of each other. And uh, I don't know if you learned this cognizantly where you, you just... And now the movies now you, you direct, you you kind of let the actors go to wherever they need to go for a little bit longer to get. The, I've noticed that anyway as well, an I, actor. I don't like to be a puppet master type director. Right. Well, I guess that's what my question was going back to how how did your directing style change from amphetamine up now through Game of the Year? Because I mean I can see the progression even through Sound of Nothing and, and the, the movies we'll talk about a little bit later. But did do you feel like you changed or you always been kind of the same? Or I just think it's important for people to understand that there is a natural progression, but we're all growing as people. We talked about how if somebody would have handed you a million dollars, that probably would have been a big mistake to make your first movie. Yeah. Probably would have wasted it. I, I think it's about uh, something Brock just said. It's about letting go and, and trusting the people you're working with. That's, that's really what it's about. When, when you trust your actors, when you trust your, your fellow crew to do their job, it's a lot easier to do your job as a director. And when you work with these people over and over again, you develop that trust. And by the time you're on your second or third film, you don't have to worry about, I, I, I know what they're going to give me as far as a performance goes. I don't, I don't have to worry about that. I, I know what the crew is going to bring to the table. I, I don't have to worry about it. And anything that takes worry off your plate makes your job that much easier. Nah. So everybody else around you got better. And you just stay the same? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important when you get that solid crew, when you do invite new people in or new people do come in, that it's easier for them to develop around us, right? Because we do have that solid, you're not starting with a whole new crew again because you've already built that trust with people and we're kind of bringing in the, the same 50 to 60% of the people. At least that's what I've seen being on set with you yeah. and, and being through 88. And then when you do bring those new people in, they're walking into a set that has trust it's comfortable, it's professional. You know, we've already set that up for people. Still hard as shit, though. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. That's, I mean, it's, there's still a lot of suck that happens. Still a yeah. lot of suck. No matter how, much, how many times you've done it, 
There's still some more stuff. And the suckiest thing about Game of the Year and our decision to self-distribute is that was pretty much an abject failure. (laughs) I've got... uh, What What year was that? Game of the Year was 2009, I think. So, yeah, DVD was still a thing. Got, I don't know, a few hundred DVDs uh, in boxes in the basement. <laughs> this was before streaming took off, so. It was, but, but I think that the problem with that part of your decision was you were always, you were always on the art side of it. Yes. And not the business side yes. of this this fucking business. That's no, it's good because there's there's going to be a switch here coming up in there is there future is. episodes huge, where huge learning experience. Right? Absolutely is, and and even the stuff we talk about now with Red Knight in this podcast and what we're learning still about the business side of things and how to promote and God, we were really green back then, and I wasn't yeah. even on that side of it with you. I was like, oh, we self distributing. Okay, I just expected that's exactly what you did. You as somebody didn't understand it, you did exactly what I thought you should do. And, and you still have the boxes of DVDs. And did it wrong. Right. Did it wrong. I don't know that you did it wrong. You just did exactly like the industry told just you not to knowing. do it. Right. That's fair. That's right. fair. I mean, I think there's something to be said about how every book and every article you read is this is what you do. You get the cash, you get the story, you get this, you do this, right? You go to a distributor and, hey, you're home free. If not, go pay us money and get a bunch of DVDs or why, why VHS. Do we, why, is there, why do we need to raise marketing budget what the fuck for well exactly let's put it into cast and crew come on yeah Yeah. it's so easy and then nobody tells you hey by the time this is all over with you're gonna end up with boxes and boxes of t-shirts and merch and you know and and all this other crap because nobody cares nobody cares nobody cares i think that's it should be (laughs) indie film sucks (laughs) hashtag nobody cares exactly but you know what one thing we are going to talk about more and more as we go along are the uh the highs and the lows and the in-betweens of true independent filmmaking on the Indie Film Sucks podcast. Follow us on Twitter. In- Instagram, Twitter. YouTube. Keep Facebook. sucking it. Suck it. <laughs> Peace. All right, guys. Indie Film Sucks. Indie Film Sucks. It's the Indie Film Sucks.